You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'm Bill Wartman, and I teach at Samford in classics and then run uh, IPUB, the Institute for the Public Understanding of the Bible, where we promote meaningful conversation about the Bible with the non-believing, with the non-believing. I have a couple sheets here for you. You want? There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. And the hand one too. So uh, this week I was working on uh, responding to, to a professor, um, Dr. James Tabor, who um, said that uh, Paul uh, misused the Old Testament when he quoted some verses like Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness, and then also Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, which are both pretty famous verses. Uh, here you go. Here's a sheet for you. Or no, he's got one. Uh, or you have one. So that's what I was thinking about is how, how do you respond to somebody who says, yeah, Paul just completely didn't know the context of Habakkuk or Genesis or just misused this. or um, uh, So this is my life. <laughs> All right, that's what I do. Uh, We're talking, however, about Daniel, and uh, it's nice, by the way, to have Jenny. I know she loves, my wife loves it if I reference her, as all wives do. Um, So, anyway, it's good to have Jenny with us. Uh, But we're talking about Daniel and how to interpret these visions, and we spent one Sunday on the value of symbols, and we talked about how symbols are not, as is commonly assumed, for obfuscation. They're not designed to create mystery and uh, to darken what God wants to reveal, but they're designed to, uh, to be for revelation. They're, they add illumination and clarification, and we went through how these symbols are meant to have obvious meaning. If you miss that, it doesn't matter, because today we'll be talking about some symbols, and it should be clear they have obvious meaning. Uh, here's a sheet for you. You can take this. Um, and uh, You're welcome. And so uh, then we talked about the, Daniel's use of time and geography. Here you go. Here's a couple sheets. Hey, Anna, how you doing? Thank you. There you go. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, so we talked about time and geography in Daniel and how crucial that is uh, to the visions and how to interpret the visions. And then we talked about uh, nothing because we were gone last week. And so now we're talking today about the internal logic of visions. All right. I think this is the most important lesson. I mentioned that, I think, the first Sunday. Right. So uh, mean, and by most important, I mean, I think it's the most helpful. And it's the one people do the least amount of work in when they're reading Scripture and thinking about it. Because we want so badly to interpret and move on to the interpretations of the visions that we forget to pay attention to the wealth of details in the sort of internal logic of the vision. The visions are uh, not uh, as chaotic as they seem. They have an internal, natural flow to them and an internal logic. And it is, you can mine a lot before you ever get to the second part of the visions where the visions are interpreted. 
And in fact, a lot of the controversies about interpreting these visions, as because Daniel offers you interpretations, sometimes he, he relates what angels said as interpretations of the visions. And it's especially frustrating. If you read the vision, you're not sure what it means. Then you read the angel, you still don't know what it means, right? So even, even an angel can't make it clear. Uh, but one of the problems is we haven't paid attention to the internal logic of the vision in the first place, okay? Which helps to elucidate a lot. Uh, this is much easier to show than to talk about. So let's do that. Uh, what we want to do is look at two stories that are in parallel. That is, in, in the book of Daniel itself, by its structure, they are in parallel. You have the second chapter and the seventh chapter. And uh, for those of you that are new, we've, we've, there are ten stories in Daniel. Five in the first half and five in the second half. All right? So if you're in the second story of the first half, chapter two, in chapter seven, you're in the second story of the second half. That makes sense? Position two. And they both happen to be uh, they, they are uh, visions which are run parallel. I think that will be fairly clear. I have a sheet here for you. Uh, last one. So, um, I think I have it digitally anyway. So, All right, so what we're going to do is read it, and then I'm going to start asking a flurry of questions to, f- to force us to look at it. So I'm going to read it, and you know how it goes. You're going to have to pay attention because it's very hard to pay attention when someone else is reading, especially in church for some reason. And also, you'll feel like I've read this before, some of you, and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll start asking questions, and we'll see if you should have been paying attention <laughs> or not. Uh, so just the first vision here, the, the left column, chapter 2, uh, Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar about the dream he saw. He says, Behold a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet and toes partly of iron, partly of clay. A stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, all together broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Were you paying attention then? You know where the rock hit the statue? Where did it hit him? The feet. Oh, look at that. Everybody was paying close attention, weren't they? It kind of works sometimes to tell people they're about to be interrogated on something. That's one way to motivate them for a Sunday, anyway. Um, I don't know if it'd work on me, to be honest, but it works on some. Um, so, um, uh, how'd this Colossus thing get there? We, all, we, we can kind of have some idea in our heads, can we not? It's a giant statue. It's a Colossus. There were many of these type of statues in the ancient world. If you go to Rome, go to the Capitoline Museum, and you see the foot of, of uh, the Emperor Nero, okay, formerly Nero's foot, but they, they, they appropriated it, <laughs> okay? And his foot, you know, his, his ankle is at my head. That's just the foot. 
Okay, so they had many big statues, right? The term Colossus commonly used. So, uh, and this uh, is an image of a human, right? Has a head, forearms, chest, midriff, legs, and feet, and toes. Uh, but how did it get there? And here I'm asking now not for what does, how does the text say it got there? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, how does something like this get anywhere? Created. Yeah, you, you, you don't, it's not like a statue is birthed as a baby and then grows into a Colossus statue, right? A statue is an artifice. It's manufactured, it's man-made, made by the hands of humans. But this is a statue of a human, <laughs> but it's made uh, by humans. Humans are responsible for it. They had some reason. You put up something like this, you have some purpose, do you not? You, do we have any big statues in America of humans? <laughs> We got one right here, do we not? I don't know if you call it a human. Vulcan, of course, is the god of metalwork. Um, uh, uh, anyway, spoiler alert: he's not. A, he's a false god. But anyway, so do we have any in America, DC? Any big statues of human? There's a. There used to be some in DC. There's one. It's really hard to tear down. Uh, you got Lincoln, right? He's he's pretty big. If you've been there, you know. So it's, it's an image of a human. You have a purpose, anyway. Humans. The point is. It's human hands that made it. It's humans that are responsible for it. Whether that is for good or bad, they are responsible, as will become clear in our outcome, won't it? There was a responsibility for the thing. And in this case, Things don't end well. All right? So, um, metal. What's the point of metal? You're going to make a statue? What's the point of metal? Shiny. It's shiny, yes. All the metals? Value. Not all of them. Value. Strength, yes, yes, yes. Strength. You make something, you don't make a tank out of bark, right? You make a tank out of metal. All those tanks heading to Eastern Europe, I suspect, <laughs> are made of some very strong metal. Okay? You make something out of metal for what purpose? For strength, yes? For what we might call permanence. You want the thing to endure and to endure. All right? So, metal has to do, of course, with strength, with permanence. And of course, some people, they look at uh, human life. I saw an article this week of, uh, of somebody who's, I think he's 42 or something, and he's a billionaire or something, and he's trying to break the record, you know, for how long he lives. And every day he's obsessed with trying to attain and achieve some permanence. Right? Um, not very good for governments that individuals are so obsessed with their own permanence, is it? Uh, 
famous quote from Hitler, of course, what is life? Life is the nation. That's what life is. Life is the nation. The individual must die anyway, said Hitler. Beyond the life of the individual is the nation. Permanence. I mean, isn't it the life of the nation at all costs, is it not? The life of the nation, even if it means sacrificing the individual. Right? Um, and many, many governments, many nations have thrown, I think it was 150,000 Germans lost at Stalingrad. 150,000. Um, so, anyway, metal is for permanence. As, as we're going to see, permanence is the goal. Um, what about the internal logic of the metals themselves? You have gold, silver, iron, or excuse me, bronze, and iron. There's a flow to them. Would it matter if you just swapped them around? If the head was a head of iron? And the legs were legs of gold. Would it matter? Yeah, it wouldn't stand. Yeah, it wouldn't stand, would it? There's an internal logic to the thing that its legs are of iron. As you're at the top, the metals are the most valuable. They're the most precious. They're also the most beautiful. But as you get lower, you need the thing to stand up. Why do you want the thing to stand up? Why do you want legs of iron? For permanence. <laughs> yeah. So that the whole thing endures and stays. Um, which part would catch your eye first? Where was it seen, by the way? Where was it? Did... It's, in a, it's in a dream, yeah. Uh, I don't remember if it's in our uh, specific... Yeah, it's, I guess this isn't here. Does anyone remember where Nebuchadnezzar is? It's not in this particular part here. He's in the, he's in, it's in the yeah. desert, of course, yeah, it's out, in the de out in the desert, outside of Babylon. So, all the more so, you said, what would, what would catch your eye? The head. Yeah, the head, as it normally would. A head would normally catch your eye anyway. I usually find myself looking at your faces. You're probably looking mostly at my faces. I mean, at my face, right, when I'm teaching. Uh, it's the end of Shawshank Redemption, right? Andy escapes. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have announced that. Because you don't normally look at a man's feet, as he says. But this head even more is going to catch your attention. Why? Exceedingly bright. Yes, in the desert sun. It's exceedingly bright. It's glistening. It's gleaming. It catches your eye. It's so bright. And that isn't just for sort of fireworks, right? It's not just to catch your eye away from the feet. It's because you build a statue like this for beauty. Now, do human governments ever build things for aesthetics? <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Governments want to beautify their, their nation. Uh, our senators and congressmen want to, uh, you know, take a chunk of those taxes and make something that's beautiful and functional for our city, okay? So... You, uh, you look up at the, at the head. Uh, that's what would catch your eye, of course, first, and the silver chest. By the way, they really did make composite metal statues like this, where they would make a, something of wood and then plate it with metals. Um, 
So, the overall effect, if you were to see it yourself, what's the overall effect? You're out there in the desert. Whoa. You see it. Whoa, that's a pretty good response, David. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Actually, it'd be rather nice, wouldn't it, in the desert? Wouldn't you rather? Wouldn't you like something like that around? Why would you want? Why would you want something like that around? Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 for sure. There's people out there. Uh, I was thinking it might be nice for a little shade. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, at least you get some shade while you're thinking about it. Yeah. Um, the uh, image then is has some value, even practically speaking, if you're in a desert. But you know where this is headed, don't you? You know slowly. We're headed toward a discussion about kingdoms, nations, governments, and what they build, and what they accomplish, what is an artifice, all they accomplish, and all the impressive things. It's pretty striking, isn't it, to think of humans having walked on the moon. I mean, old, I suppose, in some ways now, maybe lost its, some of its zip but pretty wild what human governments accomplish. Uh, The impressive feats. Um, Anyway, a sense of awe. Um, Would you draw near to it? Would you go sit under the shade of it, would you, if you were out in the desert? Maybe if you were staring at the head the whole time. Why, Why might you be a little reticent? to go get too close to that thing. Because what? Yeah, the feet are earthenware, pottery, mixed with iron. I don't think that's a very good foundation. I don't remember in my days of doing carpentry work anyone ever suggesting we should work pottery into the, uh, into the foundation uh, with iron. <laughs> that's not stability. In other words... The whole thing, if you, if you pay a little close attention to it, in the desert winds, it's doing this, right? <laughs> and you're not going to move too close to the thing because it's already fatal. As it stands there, all by itself, Despite the attempt to make it permanent, to make it endure, be a source of pride too, wouldn't it? Its awesomeness, its glory, its beauty. A guy like Nebuchadnezzar could really take pride in something like that. Of course, he built the Hanging Gardens, didn't he? He's famous because he beautified Babylon and did something no other nation had done, making essentially mountains out of his palace for his dear wife who came from the mountains. So, uh, this whole thing, though it's aiming at permanence, that's why you have metals and iron legs and so on. When you look at its feet, you see that the whole thing is doomed. All by itself, by its design, despite the awesomeness of it. Fatally flawed. If you were going to talk about humans and human governments, 
I mean, I'd rather prefer the American government endure, wouldn't you? In fact, it's hard even really practically speaking to think it's only been around a couple of hundred years, 200 some odd years. It's, that's just a blip of history. But it feels like it's going to endure forever, and the thought of it collapsing just sounds too catastrophic to contemplate. How could it collapse? That's what people once thought of Rome. How, it could never collapse. How could it collapse? Any governments you know of that have never collapsed? Never collapsed? I don't know of any. So, our uh, Colossus is doomed. But then if I ask you, how was it destroyed? What are you going to say? Did it fall over? The winds eventually just got too strong and it fell over. Yeah. Uh, what does it say about the, the rock? It wasn't made by humans. But what did we start with about the statue, if you saw it? It would be obviously made by human hands. But when you get to its destruction, the rock that destroys it is expressly said to be not by, not made by man. A hunk of mountain rock ripped out, flying across the desert, dropping bits of rock as it flew toward the statue. Violently, catastrophically hitting it in its feet. Could have been a headshot. Could have gone for its chest, but went for the feet. As we learn, the different members of the body, the different parts of the body, represent different kingdoms, different nations that proceed chronologically, successively, ruling over the nation of Israel. These are Gentile kingdoms. And it's very precise that it will be in its feet, in its very toes, that it gets struck and destroyed. And, um, and then what happens? That's it? Is that the end of the vision? That the last scene, it's pulverized to dust and the winds blow it away and that's the end of it? There's an, there's a, um, an epilogue. What's the epilogue? It, yes, this little hunk of rock grows into its own mountain. Now, if you were to see a big statue next to Pike Peak, Pike's Peak, you know, in Colorado Springs, which one would you think was more permanent? Which one's safer to build your life around? On the mountain? You're going to build it on the mountain? Or are you going to build it under the statue with the the iron feet and clay toes. There is no question which one is truly permanent and endures. All right? Uh, so, obvious takeaway then is that this man, uh, man-made Colossus, however powerful, however impressive, is in the end temporal and is responsible 
to an eternal creator. I mean, that's just on the surface. You know, we haven't really gotten that much into the details. But you see how we've extracted so much just from the image. We haven't even read Daniel's commentary on, there's much more to say about it. Daniel says much more about it. This is just to get the internal logic of it into our heads before we get on to the interpretation. All right, so that's one. Now let's go to the other one. It's uh, parallel vision. Okay. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. The mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceeding strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, a thousand thousands served him. I'll just pause there to the end of that sentence where it says, and the books were open. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the little horn was speaking, and as I looked, the fourth beast was killed, and the body was just, body was uh, destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, in the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That didn't ring a bell, did it? <laughs> These are the words Jesus quoted before the high priest at his trial and on the basis of which he was convicted. He quoted that line from Daniel. That must be important. <laughs> All right. Um, so our image, what is our image now? We have an image of a, uh, a giant beast, is it? And it has, is it like the, well, I mean, it's not a human, right? It's a wild, untamed set of ferocious, feral beasts. Do you see the contrast? <laughs> I hope you do, <laughs> between that awesome, glorious image of the man with all his beautiful medals, his head of gold, and so on, and these wild beasts. Do you know 
that these four beasts correspond to the four different metals of the human statue. And that when we eventually get to the interpretation, they represent the same nations. So that on the one occasion, the earlier vision we saw, there was this head of gold, which is Babylon, Daniel says eventually in the interpretation. And here, Babylon is represented by a lion. The same nation. Can that be true? Can nations be glorious and accomplish much with all their economy, their arts, their politics, their education, and so on, and then turn round and devour and slaughter flesh by the hundreds of thousands? Can nations really be that schizophrenic? Propping up and taking care of the poor in their nation and butchering others? It's quite a contrast, isn't it, these two visions, just on their surface. And is this one beast with like a head of a lion and arms of a bear? Like, no, it's four separate beasts here. They're not composite. They're separate. Um, And the extremities, do you remember all that talk about the feet and toes? I don't know how many toes you have. It's one of the things I did when I checked our four kids each time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I did it with all of them. Amazing they come out with ten usually, isn't it? It just works, you know. They have the extremities. There's ten toes anyway. And how about the extremities of, the, of this last beast? Not his toes. We're not interested in his toes now. We're interested in his horns. And there are how many of them? Oh, there just happened to be ten, like in that verse vision. An extension of this beast with its horns. Its extremities are an extension of it. And uh, obviously the role of these beasts is not to beautify anything, is it? Like the Colossus. What is their function? They're actually given a command. They have one function. Devour. Devour. (laughs) That's their their role. Uh, That is to say they're to have, well, they're supposed to have dominion. Right? It says dominion was given to it. In verse 5, dominion. Is it verse 5? Verse 6. Dominion was given to it. Later it'll say dominion was taken away from it. Does that remind you of any verse of the Bible from Genesis? When God first made humanity, we were to have dominion over the creation, which included a bunch of wild beasts, didn't it? It's not good if the beasts run things, is it? Does it work very well when the monkeys are in charge? Um, It's worse if the humans start behaving like the wild beasts of the field. Um, Would you rather see this vision or the first one if you were Daniel? Because in this one, when is it? 
When is it? His night. And where is Daniel? Where is Daniel? I read this one too fast, didn't I? Daniel, according to verse 3 and 2, he's along the seashore. And what's going on? Yeah, it's a hurricane. Have you ever been down at the beach for a nice evening romantic walk versus down at the beach when a hurricane's rolling in at night? It's bad enough, isn't it, to be out along the beach when a massive storm is rolling in over your head? Things were about to get much worse. Now, if you saw a lion at the beach... If I saw a lion at the beach, I think my first instinct might be, there's no way I can outrun him, but I might just might be able to swim out far enough. I, don't, I know lions go in water, but I'm just thinking I'll take my chances in the water because it just feels like the running I just know is a loss very fast. So I'm going to see if I can get out far enough. That's, but here's the problem. Where's the lion come from? comes up out of the sea. Now where are you going to go? You don't think Daniel felt the beastly power and the vulnerability. There was no way to defeat it. Worse, it had eagle's wings on its back. So running was utterly futile. And then, of course, after that one comes another one, and then comes another one, and then comes another one. These are fatally dangerous. This is way, way more dangerous than a wobbly colossus. All right. Um, These ones don't seem like they could be defeated, do they? Right. I mean, the statue gets destroyed by that giant rock. These don't even seem like they could be defeated. I mean, in Daniel's day, what are you going to use to defeat them? Uh, While he's there along the beach. And then uh, we have the logic of of, uh, the progression of the beast. That's kind of obvious. What's the logic of the progression? With each beast, what's happening? They're stronger. Yeah, they're more devastating. And when they, they're sort of transmogrified beasts, you know, of various animals put together, until you get to the fourth one, and it's so violent, it's, there's nothing to compare it to. It doesn't say it's like anything. It's like those creatures in, uh, that Han Solo was taking on the ship, you know? It was, if you saw the, one of the nine Star Wars movies. Um, so... Uh, extremely violent uh, progression. They get worse. These are governments, of course, as eventually we see. Um, What about that little horn thing? What's the point of it being little? It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here you are, you're out there, you're facing this beast, you're on the beach, right? And here comes that beast at you. 
Now, of course it's a loss, but you're going to do something, right? What are you going to grab? You're going to grab his big horns, are you not? Because that's the fatal, that's the thing. If you see a bull, right? That's maybe if you can get the horns, maybe you can at least avoid being gorged immediately. Which horns are you going to grab? The big ones. That little one. Why is he little? He's little on purpose. He's little because you overlook him. He's deceptive, you see. He is little, but he's actually the one to fear the most. That gets me really curious, doesn't it? What that thing is going to be interpreted as. But he can speak. He has eyes, it says, and he's boastful. Um, yes, I hear the bells. Um, that's right. And how is it destroyed? Big crude rock ripped out of a mountain comes and destroys the, the animals? Is that what happens? How are they destroyed? Well, remember this colossus man-made artifice with all its beauty and the contrast with that crude rock not cut by human hand but ripped out by sheer power and it was a contrast how are these beasts destroyed here's the image you ready the ancient of days with his white garments and hair like wool pure as wool takes his seat and he opens books and reads the works of these beasts in the books. And the Son of Man, the ideal man, comes to him and fire flows out of his throne and burns the fourth beast. But the other three aren't destroyed like they are in the first image all at once. It says specifically they continued for a time. It's not as though all the governments ended. Governments continued, but not the fourth one. And dominion was handed over to this Son of Man, the ideal, perfect, Man, because man was made to have dominion. And if the, if the ideal man shows up, by all means, give him the reins of the government, please. Yesterday, if you would. So the contrast, these wild beasts aren't destroyed by wilder beasts, even more powerful. It's not a fifth beast that destroys the four beasts. It's the ideal man sitting rationally, reading, and judging with reason the works of the beasts. You see, it's not in the first image. It was a question of power. God, of course, has more power, eternal power. But now the question isn't so much 
God is just God because he has more power. It's the moral quality of his power that matters now. It's not just that he has more power. It's that he has truth and morality and wisdom. Much more could be said out of time. All that to say, you see, we're just following the internal logic of the visions, comparing, contrasting them, and extrapolating for our imaginations to fill up our horizon of the sort of potency of the imagery. And then we'll come back next week and talk about these lengthy interpretive sections where they go back and explain bits and pieces and how to work with those. That'll be our final week. All right, Father, we just thank you for your word as always for the revelation, the illumination that comes through these symbols in these visions and we pray they would sink in and they would affect the choices we make, practical choices every day, every week of what kingdom we're living for and where we want to build. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.